we bear the name of Jesus Christ. Is that an incredible privilege? I mean, is that a privilege for you today? Is that a credible privilege for you? We bear his name. I mean, uh, I mean, we could be sons and daughters of, of all kinds of other things. But we're the sons and daughters of those of us who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. I mean, he chose us before the foundation of the world. He, he offered us this free gift of salvation that's given by grace through faith. We are recipients of an incredible love that often we take for granted. Maybe this morning you woke up and forgot all about it, that, that whose child you are. I mean, just wrap your mind around that a second. I mean, no matter what you face today, no matter what comes your way, the God of the universe is your Father God. Now, is, does that make you excited on any level at all, that, that you're a child of the, the living God? Love is the message of our God. Grace is the extension of that love. And so this book, this letter that John has been given to us, it's been tough. I mean, it's been hard. It's been like, it's black and white. Either you love God or you love the world. You love God or you love the devil. It's not like one foot in one area and one in the other. And so we've been plowing our way through this letter. And just for your sake, when this letter was written, when that was read to the recipients that was there, it wasn't like they stopped after four verses and said, hey, let's explain this. It was, it, was, it was written and they heard it all at once. So imagine, keep hearing this over and over again. You either love God or you love the world. Love one another. If you, if, if you show love, then the world will know that, that you love the Father. So over and over and over, they kept hearing this repeating phrase of loving one another. They kept hearing this repeating phrase, either you love God or you love the world. Either you love God or you love the devil. And so John kept banging it home in this letter, and he kept banging it home and banging it home and banging it home. And, and so we jump into the midst of this letter in, in, in chapter 3 today, and we're going to see that he begins by saying, now, the reason that we can love, the reason that we're able to, to extend this love is because there's a Father God out there that loves us so much that he sent his son. And he's saying, now listen, that should change the way you live. And he's reminding us that grace is the avenue through which his love comes to us. It was for grace that Christ went to the cross. It's, it's by grace that you're saved. And so if we are children of God, then we should be givers and extenders of grace and not pick and choose who we give it to. About four years ago, I was, was asked to speak at Momentum Youth Conference. It's it's a, a conference that our teens here go to. 2,000 teenagers from across America travel to this yearly conference. And over the years, I've spoken there. And on many occasions when I've been there, I've been able to, to speak. And then Steve Fee and the Fee Band would play. They played prior to the message and after the message. So I've sat in a lot of green rooms with Steve Fee and the Fee Band. Incredible musician, incredible band, and, and they were making their way into the Christian circles. I mean, we sang songs like, Oh, Happy Day and Glorious One, and, and his music was, and the group's music was being used by God in incredible ways all across America. In fact, all across the universe. About four years ago, I was asked to go and speak to the teens across America, and they asked me to speak on purity, on sexual immorality, on, uh, uh, and that we, sh- that we should be pure and, and really go after what happens when, when, when we, we give in to sexual morality. And so as I was preparing this message over the weeks, I found myself coming to this conference, and I, and I come into the conference, and as I'm getting there, 
I get word from the directors of the conference that the fee band was supposed to play. But they weren't playing because there was this, this issue in the band's life, in Steve Fee's life, that disqualified him from playing. And so they brought in Brett Yonker to play instead. Little did I know at that moment what it was. He had been having an adulterous relationship with another woman. I don't tell you that to, to, to expose him, and I tell you to see what's happened as a result of that. So I was given this opportunity to walk through this crowd, and before I went out to speak, the directors of this conference said, the fee band won't be here this week, and they said, because of inappropriate uh, things that have happened, and so just know that he won't be there. So word was on the street quickly that because of, internet and because of googling that people found out why and so i'm speaking to this audience the timeliness of god said this is what happens when sin runs deep this is what happens when sin runs unaccounted this is what happened when sin goes unaccounted for this is what can happen so steve fee began this journey of reconciliation he confessed to it in his church andy stanley and north point community church rallied around he and his wife, and they walked him through this restoration process, trying to restore this marriage, trying to restore Steve's relationship with God and the damage he had done. Fast forward four years. Last year, I'm down to Indiana Wesleyan University speaking at this youth conference. Steve Fee happened to be there. They asked him to come back. Four years later, first time back playing, worshiping, all new band members. His, his band had dissolved. And, and so we were staying in this bed and breakfast where speakers and musicians stay. And, and so we get up that morning. I was there with my wife, Ann, and my son, Isaiah. And we walk out into the breakfast of this house, this kitchen. There's Steve Fee at the breakfast table. There's his band. I know his story. I know the damage has taken place. And so we sat and we ate breakfast together. And I heard his heart. And he went on to lead worship that morning. God had restored his life. He lost his marriage. And someone had given him a chance to take back this gift of music. And by the way, that first song that you sung today in the worship set called Grace. Yeah, Grace. Was Steve Fee's new song out that he just released. Reflecting over his life. And so people along the way have had to make choices. Will I extend grace to him? Will I continue to proliferate the internet with his story? And so they'd say, oh, another one failed. Look at this. Or will I be extenders of grace? And today, John is saying, if we call ourselves Christ followers, there's this this balance beam that says, hey, truth and grace. And we need to be as much givers of grace as we are of truth. And this message today is going to wrap our minds around what that looks like to us. Grab your Bibles and turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand, please. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. If you have a mobile device, turn to 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to see what this, what happens as a result of this relationship, that this love should change the way we live. And as a result of it, grace is extension of that. And, and we're going to see how that unfolds and unpacks in our lives and how that should change the way we live. Stand with me and we'll read this together. First John chapter 3, we're just going to read verses 1 to 3 to start out. First John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. 
Would you read it with me out loud, please? Ready? Read. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. You may have a seat. John is telling us that because of this love that's been lavished on us, and because we now bear his name, and because he reached out to us, then somehow this love should change the way we live 24-7. John says, see what love the Father has lavished on us. I love one translation at this verse, chapter 1. It says, did you look? Well, if you did, look again. In other words, this love, see this love. In other words, did you look at it lately? Well, if you haven't, look again. It's just, it's just too good not to keep looking at This word lavish means something generous, something extravagant, something like that's supernatural, like you don't see it anywhere else, like you've never experienced it before. And John said, that's the kind of love that God gave to us when he sent his son and he, that allowed us to be children of God. It's love that's, that's over the top. That phrase for me, and as I was reading it, so I need to look again. So Spirit said, Jim, look again. If you haven't looked look again. And so I did as I was seated in my office this week and I found myself just quiet, just humble. And I found myself going back to the cross and just seeing this perfect God man without any sin being spit upon and crown of thorns on his head and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Taking my sin and all the sin I've ever committed and will commit to the cross. And I thought, That's love. That's the kind of love that the Father has lavished upon us. John is saying because of that, it should change the way we live. That's why I said, take a look. You better go look again because if you keep looking and nothing's changing, you've got to ask the question, is there been a change in my heart? Stop and pause. Consider that for a few seconds. God reached out to us at our very worst and offered us unusual grace when we had nothing to offer him to earn this name change. Nothing. Nothing. And so I began to think about this unity, this harming, this, this, this family that we have. Like, I started thinking about it. I'm looking, I'm looking again. It's like, well, children, who are children of God? And I thought, think, well, they're, they're, they're people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, not only here in America, but across the world. And I started thinking about brothers and sisters, like, as though they were my own brothers and sisters. You know, I, I have siblings. I have four of them. Love them dearly. Love them dearly. Rarely get to see them. Just the call of God on my life to leave my mother and father and my children and move to Indiana. I would do anything for my siblings. I would do anything for I would give them my arm if they needed it. And John is saying, not only those kind of siblings, not only those kind of brothers and sisters, but there's brothers and sisters who bear the name of Jesus Christ that you should do the same for. So as I was thinking about that, my heart was just, it's just been ripping apart thinking about what's happening to these Iraqi Christians in our world. It's like, 
Who's going to do something about that? Like this ISIS group that are beheading children because they, they claim to know Christ. And I read another article this morning where this, this, this Anglican uh, uh, a pastor witnessed this, this child that he had baptized. Watch him. This, these ISIS leaders saw this person in half because they claimed to follow Christ. Like, they're my brothers and sisters. Does that even bother us? Like, do you just flip the channel or just cruise through? That's your brother and sister. And so saying, what is our response to that? How can we be a good brother and sister to them? And, and so the best that I could do was like, man, just calling the church to pray and pleading and saying, please pray. And, and so I connected with Ted, our missions coordinator. And I, I said, Ted, we got to do something. Got to do something. We can't just sit here. We pray, continue to pray. If that's what God wants to do, we'll do it as best as we can. But is there any way we can get boots on the ground in Iraq and help these people? So he's been feverishly connecting with all his contacts around the world. And he came across a contact from Canada that has a connection. And even this morning, they were emailing back and forth and where the possibility exists, some form or fashion, Our hope is not only supplies, but boots on the ground to say, hey, we love you. We're here for you. I ask you to continue to pray about that, that if that opportunity surfaces in the next week or two, that you would say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? But John is saying, this family of God, this great love the Father has lavished, that we should be called children of God. And because we're called children of God, dear friends, it should change the way we live because he reached out to us first. This love mentioned here is something that comes from another country. It has the idea of something beyond what has been previously experienced. Seriously, have you ever experienced that kind of love? That someone would give their life for your sin? And this love was not based on our worthiness, on our efforts, or our accomplishments. In fact, it was given to us because of a great need that we created by our own sin. Romans 5.8 says it this way, and I love this picture because it's visually for me, I, I, I see things, but, it says, but God demonstrated his love for us. While we were yet sinners, in other words, in the armpit of sin, Christ died for us. It was a demonstration Boy, this community and our world needs a whole bunch more demonstrations like that instead of the demonstrations we see on our corners. We need to circle together and and, and love and extend grace and say, I've gotten that kind of love. It's radically changed. There's a God that loves you. Not demonstrate that I believe this and you believe that. Let's meet these people and tell them about the love of God. But yet that concept is foreign to our world. And John's saying, hey, look, and you better look again. Look in your school systems. Look again. Are you looking at those kids? Are you looking at those classmates? Are you looking at those coworkers? Look and look again. There are people out there, who are children of God. You need to surround yourselves with them so that the world can see a different kind of love. Wouldn't it be a powerful message for the world to see us truly loving one another? like your brother and sister? Just face it, if that was your child in Iraq or your brother and sister in Iraq, would that cause you to read everything? Would that cause you to spend times on your knees? Listen, they are your brother and sisters. John is saying, 
And the reason they are is because God lavished his love through his son, Jesus Christ. My hope is this, as we study this book, that all of us will come out on the other end, myself included, dropping all these petty things we have against brothers and sisters, unite together in extending grace. What could happen if the body of Christ was arm to arm, shoulder to shoulder, marching forward and setting aside all these petty things for the cause of Christ? I'll tell you what, the world will be one to Jesus in droves. Besides, how would the world ever know that there's a God if they don't see love in us, John says. We know from the word that where our sin runs deep, grace is more. You know, the only reason we're able to reflect any good and light it up in this series, the only reason we can take a mirror and reflect the glory of God is not because we have good in us, it's because of the love and the light coming from the Father working in us. And the only way that happens is by grace. Let's face it, we're broken vessels outside of the grace of Jesus Christ. Let me demonstrate if I can to you. Consider this your vessel. This is your vessel, like this is your body. And we have all these areas that we have sin in our lives. So we have these holes, these areas that we're trying to fix, these areas that, that, are, that, that are causing us to end up short, these areas that we sin. And so our bodies are littered and riddled with sin holes. And the text is telling us this, that we have need of someone to come patch these holes. We have someone that's got to come alongside of us to to fill these holes and give us grace because if left alone, we will deplete ourselves. We're empty. And so the picture is this, that there's God out there. He says, I see your need. I know your need. He says, I know that you have, you have sin. He says, what I want to do is extend grace. And so if he, if when he extends grace, it fills the holes. But think about this for a second. The second that we go and patch up one hole, well, I got that area together, a new hole appears, another sinful pattern. And, and, and God is saying, you know what? The only way you'll ever exist is, is this picture of grace upon grace. Like he continues to fill us up. He continues to give us grace, even though we, the only way we can exist is because he lavishes this grace on us. And that's the picture of every day of our lives. He just doesn't stop. He just keeps coming with his grace. Oh, he needs it. And so these holes of sin, I'm going to extend grace. And it's just grace upon grace lavished upon our lives. And it's a picture of the only way we could ever make it is because God fills the gaps of sin in our lives. Anyone grateful for this? That's the picture. And John's saying, now listen. That love that's been given to you, you need to be givers of it too. And John says it only gets better. You know, I understand this walk, this sanctification. We call it a sanctification journey. It's, it's our desire to become more like Christ. And so in this journey while we're still on this side, we have, we have ups and we have downs. And the hope is that the downs aren't too deep and the highs aren't too high. There's just this consistent walk. But John says there will be a day in 1 John 3, 2, where we will be like him. But until then, you need this love. You need this grace, not only for yourself, so that the world can see that there's a God that saves people from their sin. When people see that kind of love and grace, they remember it. Let me give you an example of this. We were contacted this week by a pastor in the community, and, and he wanted to um, check out Fight Club. And 
And so Ted passed the word to me, and he said, hey, Jim, I'm meeting with a local pastor in our community. His name is John, and he wants to come in on Friday, and, he, and he's probably going to buy a kit, and, and so just a heads up. And so on Friday, I'm writing my message, and I came out to take a break, and I looked out, and there was Ted. He was seated with this John. So I walked over to this John. Said, hey, John, how you doing, man? You know, we're brothers and colleagues in ministry, and, and I heard his heart. And so I asked him, I said this. I said, so why Fight Club? Like, how'd you find out about it? Like, why, why you want it for your men? Like, there's, a, there's other things. He said, well, we've done the John Maxwell. We've done the other things with book studies and videos and once a month or once a week. And he said, but it hasn't changed the hearts. He said, I was at the county jail. He said, uh, about four or five weeks ago. And he said, I was gone in, and at the county jail, there's this large room there that's outside of the courtroom. And he says, I'm, as I'm walking in to visit with someone, I saw this large group of men surrounding this other man. And he said they had these shirts that were black and green and, 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 and white. And he said, I saw them surrounding this man and praying over him. And I said, I had to see who they were. He said, so I got closer and I saw, I saw this fight club and I saw what it was standing for. And he said, he says, then I saw one of the men there say, you know, I got to get to work. He said, um, I took off a couple hours this morning to be here for you, but I love you, brother. And he said, I saw these men surrounding this man who, who, who was there for his wife, who was on trial. And he said, I know what the case was for. And I saw this group of men surrounding, and he said, that's what my church needs. They need brotherhood. They need love. They need support. And he said, that's why I'm here. And why did he see that? How did he see that? And what did it do to him? You see, John says when the world sees it, it impacts them, not only the world, but other brothers and sisters. So what do they see when they see you? When you're out with groups of people, do they see you huddling and praying? Do they see you, then people have watched you and served you? Do, do, they, do they walk away and say, I want what they got. There's something that they have. That, that love that they had, not only for each other, but, but for others. I want that. John said, we should live in such a way that we look and we look again and say, I've been close to Jesus. When I'm close to Jesus, I can't help but tell others about him. You see, because we bear his name, it allows us to live differently than the world. Look at verses four to six. Look what John says. He says this, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him, Jesus is no what? Sin. He was a perfect sacrifice. Verse six. Then he says this, no one who lives in him keeps on what? No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. It allows us to live differently than the world. John's pretty black and white here. In other words, he says this. Now listen, Matt Scott, once you come in contact with Jesus Christ, if you've seen him and you know him, everything changes. It's just, just there it is. There, there, there it is. It's like, once you know him, like, you can't get close to Jesus. You cannot encounter Jesus without walking away change. That's why he says, now look, now look again. And he says, if you walk, continue to walk in such a way of sin, then you've got to ask this question. Have I seen him? Do I know him? I mean, it's black and white. 
Anyone who continues in sin, a pattern of sin, has to answer the question, have I seen Christ? Do I know Christ? Listen, if you're not spending regular time with Jesus Christ out of just this love and desire, then you've got to ask the question, do I know Christ, John says. Because no man, no man, no woman can ever encounter Jesus Christ without walking away and saying, you know what, I need to live differently because this love is so out of this world that others need to know it too. That's what John is saying. He said, we should never be sin managers. We should never continue to sin. We should never get comfortable with our patterns. Like, we have like these pockets well, I got this area down, like, but I'll keep this sour attitude. I'll keep this resentful spirit. I, I'll keep this, this, uh, this, this eating disorder. I'll be a glutton. I'll, I'll still have a little greed, but I got this other area. It's like, well, I'll manage. No, 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 John says. Listen, all these areas, you better be working at it and let the Holy Spirit be working in you because if there isn't a desire to work in all these areas, then you got to ask the question, have I been close to him and do I know him? So how do you do that? Like, what's like the check and balance? Like, sounds great, Pastor Jim. How do I know? Like, if I know him or spend time with him, there must be evidence in the way you live. And you know how you could do that? Check that out. I wonder if I collected your cell phones today. Are there hints of sexual morality that continue and continue and continue and continue and continue? I wonder if I collected your checkbooks and credit card statements. Are there hints of misappropriation of funds and greed and, and jealousy and, and pride and, and, and look at me? I wonder if I collected your schedules. Are there God times and other times where, where you're just not serving yourself and your needs, but you're giving yourself away and loving the world? Like, have you scheduled in regular, 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 regular giving your life away? Or is it all about me? I wonder if we collected your giving records from Grace Community Church. Do I love the local church that Christ has me worshiping in? Am I following an obedience that we're supposed to tithe and give offerings to the local church? Or is it, oh, here comes the offering plate, pocket, I got 10 bucks, boom. Do you expect to have the blessing and favor of God if you're a pocket giver? I wonder if we collected your email, your texts, and your phone calls. And like we said, all right, here's... Jim Brown, the last five weeks, this is everything that he's texted. This is every email that he's written. This is every phone call that he's had. Would it reflect Christ? What if I collected all your conversations you had in secret with other people? Would those conversations at lunches and breakfasts and dinners with your husband and your wife, would they be lifting other people up or tearing them down? John said, there's evidence. It's there. And by the way, guess who already collected all that stuff? Jesus Christ. So, John says, wait a minute, wait a wait, wait a minute. If you've seen him, if you know him, you've been close to him, then you cannot continue in this pattern of regular habitual sin and expect to call yourself a Christ follower. But then God says, you know what? You need help, and I need help. And that help comes through grace. <laughs> so here's the pendulum. Here's this truth or this balance beam, and here's this grace. We're not supposed to be abusers of the grace. 
But God says, where sin runs deep, grace is more. But John says, don't continue in a habitual pattern of sin. So how do we do those kind of things? Especially with our brothers and sisters. I am disturbed recently. By the way, Christians have this incessant desire, like when someone falls or goes through a, a time where they're being challenged. Like, we have this incessant desire like, to pass on the article. Hey, read this blog about this person, how they fell. Read this story about this leader of Mars Hill Church. Listen, that is downright sin to continue as a brother to post stuff just so that other people can read it when you don't even know anything about it. It disturbs me when I see brothers in Christ, continually perpetuating this stuff on the internet of a brother in Christ. We don't even know the insides, but we want to let everyone know about Mark Driscoll. It is sin to do that to your brother and sister. What's the purpose of continually showing how someone fell other than you just love gossip? So John says, hey, wait a minute, we're brothers and sisters here. You can't continue these patterns of sin. It's either you love God or you love the devil. You see, we have responsibility. And so the question is this, are you working with God or against him in this transformation process? Christ-likeness is our destiny. Let's live like we truly believe that. Here's the problem, though. Part of it is we desire approval of man. Like, I'm not going to extend grace to this person or I'm not going to give love to this person or I'm not going to drop this attitude against this person or I'm not going to do this thing because if I do this, it hurts that person. We want to we wanna, we wanna make our decisions based upon feelings of other people. Listen, we're not here for man's approval. We're here for God's approval. Maybe someone else wouldn't give that grace or extend a hand of forgiveness, but guess what? Jesus would. Maybe someone else is saying, I can't believe you're doing it. Listen, if you're basing your decision about extending grace or loving someone based upon how someone else might feel or how another man might feel or how someone connected might feel, listen, you're going after the wrong approval. You're going after man's approval, and you'll end up short of God's approval. Grace, you can't compute it. I believe this with all of my heart that there's no situation God cannot redeem, that there's no problem God cannot solve, and that there's no need that God cannot supply, and that, and that there's no place his grace cannot reach. You see, if I don't believe that, then just chuck your Bibles. Just get rid of them. You know, I'm leaving. Like, there's just be holes and gaps all through your Bibles. But grace bonds us together. But the problem is this, we calculate whether or not we're going to give grace. And here's how it goes. Here's how it goes. Well, I can see they're really trying to get their life together. So I'm going to extend some grace. Or I can see that there's been a change in their life. So I'm going to give some grace. Or, wow, they've really improved. They're really trying to, trying to get back on the, on the right feet. And so I'm going to give grace. Listen, if you're in your mind and I in my mind begin to calculate on any portion or any way based upon whether or not, if you pause and say, I wonder if I should based upon, that's not grace. The minute someone earns it in your mind, it's not grace. 
do you think Jesus ever, like, he looked at our lives and said, because he knows past, present, and future, like, before the foundation of the world, he knew he was sending his son. It tells us in Revelation that he died before the foundation of the world. So Jesus already died before the foundation of the world, before he created the world and created the cosmos and created human beings. He died. He knew that we would need a redeemer. Do you think Jesus ever kind of looked, he looked at Jim Brown and he thought, whoa, boy, when he's 44, he's going to do this. When he's 52, I'm 52 now, he's going to do this. When he's 16, when he's 15. Let me think. I wonder if that's good enough for me to give him grace. No! Nor did he did it for you. He just, he just gave it. Because otherwise, we are faultless. We are broken completely. We could never get to God without the grace of Jesus Christ. John is saying, not only did we receive this love, but we need to be givers of it. This name change in this grace bonds us together as one. Look what it says in chapter or 3 and verses 7 to 10. Look how John wraps up this portion of this letter. And so they're reading this letter, and all of a sudden this letter gets like, oh man, this is getting tough. It says, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right and righteous, just as he is righteous... The one who does what is sinful is of the what? Devil. Because the what? Has been sinning from the beginning. That's why you get tossed from heaven. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy whose work? The devil's work. No one is born of God will continue to what? Because God's seed remains in them. They cannot. Now look at that. It doesn't say some of the time. It says they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And then in verse 10, he says this. This is how we know who the children of God are and the children of the what are. Now, now that, that you should, yeah, your antennas should like be on full alert right now. Like, this should be like, like, okay, here it is. This is how I know I'm a follower because we get asked that a lot. How do you know? Remember, the purpose of this book is found in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. Look there quickly. This is the purpose of the book. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 says, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may what? Know that you have eternal life. That's why he wrote the book. It's like, okay, I'm going to let you know whether or not you're saved. I'm going to let you know whether or not. And then he says this in verse 10. This is how we know who children of God are and who children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not whose child? God's child. Look at verse 10 at the end. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. There it is. There, there it is. Like, that's it. Anyone who does not do what right do what's right on a continually basis, doesn't continue to sin. And anyone who says, I won't love him because he did this. I'll hold this grudge against him. I don't like him because this and that. It says, if you don't love your brother and sister, then guess what? You're a child of the devil. I didn't say it. John said it inspired by the Holy Spirit. So who do you have in your life right now? You're just kind of holding it against. Let me give you a stronger word that Jesus said. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Keep your finger here. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus goes even a step farther. 
Sometimes we just kind of gloss over this. Oh, that just applied to them back in the day. It doesn't apply now. Well, let's just see. Matthew chapter 6. And look at verses 14 and 15. Matthew 6, verses 14 to 15. These are Jesus' words, and he said this. For if you, what, other people, forgive other people when they, what, against you, sin against you, your heavenly Father will also, what, you. So he gives this principle. He said, now listen, when someone sinned against you, when you forgive them, your heavenly Father, the vertical relationship, will forgive you. Well, that sounds great, doesn't it? Look what he says next, though. Look at this conjunction. But... If you do not, what? Forgive other sins, your father will not, what? Your sins. So, like, what does that mean? It's pretty clear, isn't it? You don't forgive someone else. You have this ceiling in your life, this separation from God, and and you want forgiveness? You, you, you want the grace from God, but listen, if you're not willing to give it to some person because you're holding something against them because you didn't like the way they did it, guess what? This vertical relationship is affected by God. And listen, when that happens, you will never, ever see God's blessing and favor on your life to make a difference in this world. Never. It's pretty clear. This relationship bonds us together. And John says, it's either you serve God or you serve the devil. And he says, we do not have to let the sin fester in our lives. We are the sons and daughter of the most high God who has unusual grace that he's extending. We need to receive it and allow it to wash us clean. You cannot spend time with Jesus without it impacting the way you live. The best litmus test there is, John says, is, look at it. It's either you love your brother and sister and you do what is right. Here's what I know to be true based upon my own experience and the experience of other brothers and sisters. We tend to become like that upon which we focus our attention on. (laughs) That's the answer. Like, you know who you become like? It's, it's who you focus your attention on. Like, you spend time close to Jesus. You read his word. You're in regular daily prayer. You're sharing your faith. You're living it out in the schools, in the workplaces, and community. You're, you're in tune. You're, you're, you're encountering God. If your attention is, is focused on the author and perfecter of your faith, guess how you live like the author and perfecter of your faith. So people often ask me, so how do you know when someone's out of fellowship? Are they harboring bitterness? Are they harboring resentment? Are they gluttons? Are they full of greed? Are they full of pride? Are they withholding from God what is his? You see, that's black and white. You can't get close to God without one in obeying him. The farther you get away, the west, the more you're influenced by the world. And John is saying, we can't continue to go on sinning and say that we know God and we've seen him. Yet here's the whole flip side of this whole thing. 
Grace reaches out to defend those who don't deserve it. (laughs) This is the whole complexity of grace. Like, even though we're full of the sin, even though it's all over our lives, Jesus said, I want to make you whole. And so when he does, he just continues, continues, continues to give grace, 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 and grace with hopes that at some point, some point, Our hearts are tenderized enough because we have seen an unusual love that we can't get anywhere else. Grace. John closes this again, and we'll look again. Verse 10. He closes up this past. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. This is how we know. This is how you know. This is how others know. This is how God knows who the children of God are. Are you extending grace to someone that is undeserving of it? Or are you withholding it? I'll say it this way. Maybe this will grab your heart. True love doesn't rub it in when a brother falls, but they rub it out. They come alongside and they say, we're going to get through this. Put an arm on a shoulder and say, man, I can't leave you here. Listen, by God's grace, you're going to get back on your feet. It's not rubbing it in and saying, look, world, look. Another person fell. Hey, read this. No, it's coming alongside and it's rubbing their shoulder and saying, by God's grace and the grace I'm going to give you, you're going to stand on your feet one day and you're going to have a story to tell of mercy and grace and forgiveness that the world has yet to see. The world will be one to Jesus in John 13, verses 34 to 35. That's why John said, Love one another as I have loved you, and by this, everyone, not just one, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But how often is the opposite true? We love rubbing it in, don't we? I mean, like I said last week, as I age, I have found that adults become more childish in their ways than mature in their ways. They just do it in an adult way. We can't be selective grace givers. He's your brother. Drop your rocks and extend an arm of grace. What the world needs to see is Christians helping other Christians navigate through their messes of their lives with the same kind of grace we have received from our Father God. Had it not been for his grace, we would have been never been able to navigate through the mess of our lives. It's the one thing we need the most when we stumble and fall, grace. I want to read Steve Fee's testimony to you. And then we're going to sing that song again. Maybe with new lenses, you'll just receive it and say, God, help me to give it. Thank you for what you've done. This is his story. About four years ago, my entire life exploded. And I'm the one that lit the fuse. My family my relationships, my ministry, and my career all came to a screeching halt in light of a secret sin I had been cultivating for years. I remember it like it was watching a panoramic movie of my entire life burning to the ground as I stood 
back holding the match that set the fire. In the midst of the betrayal and pain that I caused the people that are closest to me, I was faced with having to take an honest look at who I actually had become to who was really there. What I saw wasn't pretty. I saw a heart filled with selfishness and lies. It was horrible, but it was true about me. That's where my story begins to be so much more of a story about God than it is a story about me. In the midst of the ugliest, most painful, and self-imposed disaster, there was an opportunity to realize the outstretched hand of God in the midst of it all. His hand was in the place where I found myself completely out of excuses, completely exposed with no way out. All that surrounded me was fear, guilt, shame, regret, and sorrow. It was completely justified because of the choices I had made for myself. But then, somewhere in the middle of my despair, Jesus spoke and said, there is hope, there is grace, there is forgiveness. He gave a way to be restored and redeemed, not because I deserved it, I absolutely didn't, but because he is good and he's able. I've always known about God's grace. I've written songs about it. But in my greatest moment of despair at the bottom of the pit, I was certain that grace wasn't for me. You ever feel that way? I had run too far and sinned too much for that grace to be applied to me. Miraculously and thankfully, I discovered that I was wrong about that as well. God's grace was for me, and it is for me. In fact, that's what makes it so incredible, the grace of God. It reaches farther than our sins can carry us away from God. I'm living proof of that. God's grace showed up in my life in so many ways. It showed up in the form of God drawing near to me and helping me understand his presence in my darkest times, in my self-imposed afflictions. It showed up in ways like my church coming around me and saying, we want to have grace for you too. And we want to give you a place to heal and be restored. It came to me in the form of peace, even as I watched my marriage fall apart. I know that God's strength was in me because of his love for me. So I wrote a song about it. What I want to do is take whatever platform that I have and deliver to people a hopeful message that says, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you and God has grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. That's my story. That's what it's all about. That's what my life is about. That's what this song is about. Lord, I pray that we would be givers of grace. I pray, God, that once we've confronted you and got close to you, that it would change the way we live, that not only be recipients of grace, but we would be givers, and it would literally change us. We thank you, God, for this story of Steve Fee. We thank you for the grace that you restored, and he is now leading in worship again. God, as we sing this song, may the words of this song that came from a heart that was pounded with grace, may it fill ours. And and may not only we sing it, but may we be givers because the world needs to see that kind of love. Please, God, change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.